with me to Exodus chapter 3. The second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3. This book recounts the deliverance, which we've already read about twice, really, uh, this morning in our lectionary readings, our scripture readings. And uh, this is a very, very powerful book. This is, this is a book really, I mean, you say this often, or at least I probably do, but, but this is a book that you can't really miss. If you miss this book, you've really missed a, a, a very important part of the Bible that's really not going to make sense from here on out. Uh, plus, we are introduced here in Exodus to this character, this new figure, whose name is Moses. And he's going to be kind of important. So we need to, we need to dive into here. And uh, we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Exodus. Notice these words here. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Remember Martha, Martha last week? And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You so much for Your Word. Your Word gives us life. It is bread for the soul. So may we feast on Your words this morning so that You can prepare us to move out into a world as a peculiar people, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Looking back on my life with Jesus... Uh, One of the high points uh, is a teen retreat, February 28th, 1999, uh, around 8.30 at night. So it's a very specific time. And this is a moment, we call it these mountaintop experiences. And and, and this is kind of some of the jargon in Christianity that you often hear is, is, you know, yeah, that was a real mountaintop for me. So so don't be confused by this. Let me me give you a little little illustration to kind of clear it up. I was on the top of Springer Mountain uh, many years ago in college, which is in Georgia. It's actually the end of the Appalachian Trail. And there's a little plaque up there that shows you how many miles you should have gone. Well, it was the beginning of our Appalachian Trail, which I've not completed. And so we were starting there. Well, we spent the night up on Springer Mountain. I woke up that morning, and it was kind of like this morning, a little foggy um, and and pretty humid, and except very cold up there. I go to the edge and kind of look out, and I saw the most amazing sight I've ever seen. It really is one of the top five for me most beautiful scenes I've ever, and I've you know seen the Grand Canyon, I've been to parts of India, and so on and so forth, but this is by far one of the great. I look out, below me 
is our clouds that are moving like a river. I mean, just imagine they're moving very quickly underneath us. And, and all around is just white. Every, as far as, I mean, literally, as far as your eyeball can see, was white cloud cover rolling like rivers. And I'm like, whoa. And then I notice the only thing I can see besides the white clouds are mountaintops. So over there, boom, there's a, hey, there's the mountain we're going later on today. You know, there's a mountain. So all you can see, and it's just these little mountaintops. When you look at your life, if we were able to see our spiritual life, this is maybe the way that we can envision how it is if we were able to kind of transcend out. If we could just all of a sudden jump out of ourself and look at our life and survey it, I think what we would find is that you have these, or at least you ought to have these, mountaintop experiences with God that are above the rest, that really are defining moments. As you know, if you don't have GPS, mountains are a good way to find your way, right? This is the way Lord of the Rings works, right? They're looking for the lonely mountain. Oh, there it is. You just keep your eye on the mountain, right? We can see these mountaintops. And when we descend below the cloud cover, however, we enter into valleys. Of course, we know this analogy from Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we've all been through valleys. And to get to the next mountain, you're probably going to have to walk through a valley. But that's all right, because He's going to be with us. And so, as I survey my own life and my own experience with God, this is a major mountaintop experience for me. Back in February 28, I was 17 years old, and God met me. And many of you know my personal testimony, and you'll know this is a defining moment of both sanctification and calling to ministry, full-time ministry, you know, whole burn offering, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it was all in or nothing for me. And I was 17 and God called me that night and did something in my life that, that uh, no one can take away. Isn't that how experiences work? People can say what they want, but you've experienced it. You know what this looks like. People can say and have their arguments, but at the end of the day, what trumps all of that is experience. You know it because you've actually experienced it. People can say what they want. They can bring up the arguments. But at the end of the day, the experience is powerful. We must experience God. We must experience Jesus in our life. Working to transform our life. This must happen. There must be a few anchors that are dropped in your life or a few peaks that are uh, trekked to get to this mountaintop experience where you meet God. It happened to Moses. This was really the first encounter of many encounters with God for Moses who was called, by the way, the friend of God. You know what's funny about Moses and, and awesome at the same time is that Moses' name... Does anybody know what Moses means? It means drawn out. To draw out. You know what Exodus means? To draw out. What is God trying to do in Exodus? Draw His people out of Egypt and He's using Mr. Draw Out to draw them out. So by name, Moses has been seen by God as His called man. 
This is God's man for the job. Could I tell you something? This doesn't just happen with Moses. God knows your name. And even though your name may mean something weird like mine, Horsekeeper, He knows what name He has called you and what He's called you to. And I promise you that He has a plan for your life that will only be fulfilled if you accept His offer. If you allow Him into your life to transform you. In other words, not to be you any longer. Not to just be the you that you can control. The you that you can dictate and maneuver and empower. But instead, only the type of you that is in Christ. I think that's what's going on here. This, uh, you know, the Bible is really an awesome thing. People say, well, and, and this is true, it's not mythological. And it's not. If you lay beside it, ancient Near Eastern mythology, and you start reading the Old Testament, the Old Testament is so dramatically different, unique, peculiar, that it doesn't even compare to mythology in the ancient world. That the other, the other flip side of that is people say, well, the Bible is a history of Israel. And although that is true, yes, it's not a history book. In other words, it doesn't have a complete history of Israel. Notice that when you and your Bible turn from Genesis 50, which is the death of Joseph, to Exodus 1, when you make that one-page turn, you just turned 400 years of history. It's a long time. America's not even 300 years old. We think we're old. Oh yeah, Boston's an old city. Um, have you been outside of America? <laughs> There's some really old cities out there, you know? Been around like 4,000 years? Um, no, that's not old at all. And so you turn one page and you skip over. God skips over in His revelation 400 years. And then, in this story of Moses, He'll give two chapters to 20 minutes. Why? It's because it's a selective history. God is saying, something happened here that I need to direct your attention to. There may be 400 years that go by of nothing extremely important for us as far as revelation. But now all of a sudden, the next 20 minutes are going to get two pages. Two chapters. Why? Because God meets uh, Moses. Just like He met Abraham. You remember, not much is happening in the world until God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you three things, Abraham. I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to make you famous. And I'm going to give you some land. Abraham says, okay, I trust you. And the world changes. We're not the same people because Abraham said yes. We're not the same people because Moses said yes. And the people in your life shouldn't be the same people because you said yes. This is how this thing works. Just as I was just sharing with the kids, the way you get a cold is by getting close to somebody that's got a cold or that has germs that they are going to share with you in a number of ways. In the same way, Christianity is not just taught, but rather cult. I'm not clever enough to think that up. That was C.S. Lewis who talks about the good infection. If you want to get close to God, 
to be discipled in the church, then you've got to go to church. Then you've got to get in the Word. Then you've got to pray. These are the ways that we get exposed to the things of God. And in that exposure, we catch on. Paul will say it, we imitate Christ. And he actually says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so you have these moments, like in my life, that it means, February 28, 1999, may mean nothing to you, and yet it means everything to me. Now, I don't even remember what Brandon preached that night. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Is the messenger, like me, like him, like my father, like pastors, like missionaries around the world, the messenger and his message is not all that important. Instead, the one we are pointing to, that's the important person. I wish I could change lives. I cannot. But I can point to the one who can. But what the one who can tells me is that my life must be dedicated as if I am Him. And so when I plead with you, as Brandon pleaded with us teens way back in 1999, I don't even remember, I can't tell you one thing he said even, but I know who he pointed to. And that was very clear for me. As ministers of the Gospel, that includes you, if you are a Christian, you are pointing to Jesus with your life. You are pleading with people with your very life. And that is saving. That's, it's insane. Trust me, I know because I've been in this a while. It is insane that He would use us. He wants to use us. That's like me trying to run my bank account with Jackson. How insane is that? Here, son, I'm going to just give you our finances here. I want you to create a budget and I want you to stay inside that budget. Well, he's going to blow it on Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and God says, okay, guys, uh, I've got the most precious thing in all the world who is the Holy Spirit that I want to give. I'm going to give it through you. That just blows my mind. You know. Again, Christianity is not just about teaching. If it was, I would just hold lectures all the time, which I enjoy doing. That is not the way Christianity continues in the world. Jesus did not just hold a bunch of lectures. He wasn't just all about teaching. Instead, His very life taught. When He goes to the poor, when He heals the sick, when He gets down on His knees and actually washes the disciples' feet. That's how lives are changed. And it's how lives in Madison and Huntsville and Athens will be changed is if we actually act upon these things. Not just think about these things. Act upon these. Our thinking and our acting must be one. That's what made Jesus so attractive. People could trust Him because what He said, He did. He wasn't a hypocrite. There was no hypocrisy in Him. And so God in the Bible is revealing Himself as we reveal ourselves to each other. So when I ask you, I say, I say, hey, you know, Christopher, tell me a little bit about your life. Help me understand you better. 
Well, he's not going to tell me just mundane things, I hope. You know, I went to Chick-fil-A today. Okay, um, cool. Uh, you know, work day to five. Is that going to... Yeah, more like um, seven yeah. to seven, but, you know. Is that going to help me? No. What's going to help me is, is already in your mind. If I, if I were to ask you just, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. You're going to already be rewinding the tape or the film, whatever, uh, and saying to yourself, where are the high points? Where are the experiences that define me as a person? And you know what you're going to find in those experiences? You're not just going to find God. You're going to find God's people. It's insane. But this is His design. He wants to use us to help other people experience Him. And so when we're pleading and my vein is coming out and I'm I'm loving you and I'm trying to explain the truth even though I don't know how, something is translated there by a life. You don't have to remember everything that's said here. (laughs) But you've got to remember the one we're talking about. There's only one thing necessary. Remember last week? That's Jesus. Sitting at His feet. He's the only one who can change a heart. That's not the church's job is to change people. It's to point clear as we can by our very lives to Jesus Christ. He alone changes. So God is revealing Himself here to Moses. You remember Moses. Moses tries to deliver the people on his own. Right? His method is to kill somebody. <laughs> Which is kind of where we revert to. You know, I'm about to bust somebody up. You know, That's our first reaction to something bad. You know, Oh, if I could get my hands on them. Well, <laughs> Moses says the same thing and does. He sees an Egyptian whipping one of his, his fellow Israelites. So he kills him. Buries him in the sand and says, Alright guys, what do you all think about that? Next day, they say, what are you going to do? Kill us like you killed him? He's like, shh, shh, oh, He has to run. He has to leave. And so for 40 years, he's trained in Egypt. For 40 years now, he's on the backside of the desert in Podunkville, nowhere. But all of a sudden, he meets God out in nowhere. And God calls forth to him from this burning bush, which is odd. I mean, if I was God, I would probably come in something cooler than just a burning bush, you know. I don't know. Maybe a A-10 warthog or something. But no, instead, here's a bush that is burning. Moses turns aside, and when he gets near the bush, out of the bush, God calls to him, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. All of a sudden, He thought he had gotten away from everything. From his old life, from his past life, from all the problems, whatever. I mean, he's in the wilderness. And yet now finds himself, just like Jacob did, in the very presence of God. Remember Jacob? Jacob tries to run away from his problems. And where does he run to? Out in the middle of nowhere, sleeping on a rock. And all of a sudden, God shows up in a dream. And he sees this staircase to heaven. And, after, and when he wakes up, he says, Bethel, which means, wow, this is the very house of God. You cannot get away from God. There's no reason to even try. 
Instead, turn aside and hear His voice calling your name. You must have this type of experience with Jesus. Many of you do. Many of you have several of those experiences. And we, we all know the experience itself cannot carry us through. That's why we seek more. Just like in a marriage, Jessica and I can look back and tell you some of the best trips we've ever done with each other or best date nights or whatever. But we don't just look back to that and say, oh, that's the good golden days. No, we look forward to other experiences, deeper experiences with God, with each other. And so, really, the burning bush seems to be a type of parable that we don't live off of the fuel of our own life. The tree should have burned up. It should have burned up and been done with. But instead, it keeps burning and keeps burning and keeps burning. Kind of like those golden tongues or those fireballs that came down shaped like a tongue at the day of Pentecost, you remember? The fire, the all-consuming fire that the writer of Hebrews talks about. This is God and His fuel, who is the Spirit. We cannot run off of our own fuel. We will burn up. The wick will end. And once that's done, once we've burned out, as we often say, that's the place where God can finally use us. When we're doing it on our own strength, on our own fuel, He can't do much with that. But when we burn out, when we give up and say, God, I can't do this, He finally says to us, thank the Lord. Finally at a place where I can use Him. It's not going to be by our own strength. Paul tells us this in the New Testament. He wants to use, thankfully, the foolish to show up the wise and the weak to show up the strong. That is, in the world's eyes. What you may do for the poor or where you give your money may be weakness to those who are outside of the faith, but to God, it's strength. You remember the comparison between Moses and Adam. Adam's hiding behind a bush. Here, Moses is taking off his sandals, submitting to a bush. We don't want to be like Adam who tries to hide in the presence of God. But instead, this should be our posture openness. Really the cross. Most open posture you can possibly have. The most exposure you can get. Moses turns aside and God tells him to take off his sandals because he's on holy ground. Moses all of a sudden meets the other. Someone not like him. Someone not like Pharaoh. Someone not like the world. And so, Moses kicks off his shoes. And I wonder sometimes if we've forgotten that we come to worship the other. The Holy One. And what that should look like. 
What should our even posture be, our attitude, our, our will coming into a service? Most of the time I think it's just we come and expect to get something rather than preparing ourselves. It's always fascinating to me in the Old Testament the people are always told to prepare themselves to meet God. I've given this some thought and I wonder why youth camps, retreats, or special services, God actually does some great things there. And the reason is because people are prepared. People prepare month out, months out. But week to week, we just kind of, alright, you know, just a regular service. What is a regular service? Meeting God? How does that ever become regular? And so, I feel as if we've lost some of the fear of God. Notice Moses' response. When, when God says, hey, take off your shoes, you're in my presence, buddy, and I'm not like you. Moses doesn't say, yee-haw, you know, start running around or doing it. Instead, notice what it said, and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. If you notice all the times that people meet God, think of Joshua, remember Joshua, here in the, in the next phase of Israel's history. Joshua's preparing to take Jericho, and all of a sudden he sees this man standing there with a drawn sword. So he goes up and says, who are you for? Are you for us or are you against us? And the man says, neither. It was actually the angel of, of Yahweh. It was God. He meets God. And what does he do? Bows down and worships. He's afraid. You remember when people, uh, when the people come to arrest Jesus and he says his name, I am Jesus. Boom, they fall back. You remember John the Beloved, who is John the Revelator, who writes the book of Revelation. When he sees Jesus on the shore, is it some kind of casual thing? Hey, it's been a long time, buddy! Man! I mean, how are you here all of a sudden? I thought you were ascended into heaven. Do you not remember this vision that he has? He is on his face as if he was dead. Remember the mountain of transfiguration? They fall as if they are dead people until He touches them. Now, I don't know what that means exactly for your worship, but if you've never fallen on your face before God in worship, I want to try that sometime. I want to try meeting the Holy One because He is not like you. He is not like me. He is not like the presidents or kings of this world. He is not this world. He is the Holy One, the other one. And yet, this all-consuming fire, this one who is not us, who could burn us up, invites us into His very blast furnace. He says, come on. Come on in. Here He is, this raging fire uh, that we cannot control. You cannot control God. And yet He says, come on in. Welcome. Come on in. We're a hair that can melt in the fire. And He says, come on in. (laughs) Um, You can't help but think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're invited into the fire, and yet they don't burn up. Don't even smell like smoke. You see... The Spirit, we were created to inhabit, to live in the Spirit. From the very beginning, He breathed within us His Spirit. And He is the fuel of life. We've been talking a lot about power over the past weeks. 
You know what the real power of God is in everything? It's the Spirit. It's God. It's not something other than God that He gives to us. God never gives us anything less than Himself. It's amazing. He doesn't give us a contract. The love that He gives us is Himself. The forgiveness that He gives us is Himself. Jesus. The sacrifice. And so the power of God to call you as a disciple, to heal you, to overcome the demonic. Spiritual power. Relational power. Church power. Power to see. Power to witness. Personal presence. All is the Holy Spirit in us. Without that fuel, His fuel for life, we will burn out. We will be a dud. But with His Spirit, we can kick off our shoes and relax in Him, rest in Him. That's what true faith is. And He can make our own life a burning fire. And this is why candles are often lit in churches to represent the light of Christ that burns continually in the world through us. It's insane. It is, at, I mean, to me at least, maybe you don't think, it's insane to me that He would want to use us in this way. He doesn't just do it Himself. He does it through us. This is good news. And this is why Moses will receive a call. And we, we simply just don't have the time today to move into that call. But Moses is called by God to be His instrument in the world. And so are you. So have you had an experience with God? Is it so sure that it gives you assurance in your own life? Because that's what the purpose of these experiences are. When Joshua meets God, this commander of the Lord's armies, it's to assure him that he's doing what is right. If you're not meeting Jesus on a regular basis, encounter. I know there are dark times. There are, there are, are months of silence. That doesn't mean you give up on Jesus. It means you seek Him harder. Amen. But if you're not experiencing God, you can. That's the good news. You can actually meet God. And we say that all the time. And yet it's the craziest thing in the world that you could meet God, that I could meet God today. Don't get caught up in the things of this world so much that you forget the one thing necessary in life which is God. Amen.